0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 301 Premium for Thursday, December 2nd, 2010.
1: To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek John, I have a question for you. What little dance do you do when you listen to the theme song each time? Uh, the happy dance? Okay. I'm just curious. I think we all have a different dance that we do. And, uh, and I was just curious what yours was. <laughs> What's yours? Mm, today, as I was listening to the theme song, I kind of did this little... Uh, it was like a, I would call it like a little, uh, a, a German boy dance where I kind of had my arms swinging back and forth, uh, at, at next to my body. But, uh, that, that was my little dance today.
0: Oh, anybody should be doing a German boy dance. It'd be me. I know. Background. Yeah, give um, it, well, it, give I'm it sitting your, down. You're, well, you're yeah. standing up. Well, right? No, no,
1: no. I'm sitting down, but it was just kind of, okay. you know, swinging my arms back and forth. Yep.
0: So, so anyways, December, my goodness. How did that happen?
1: Um, I have an answer, but that's not the kind of question we typically answer on this show. But uh, we could we could probably figure that out for you, John. There's there's two geeks I know that you can call. So we yeah, we celebrated show 300. Right. Uh, thank you all for uh, for those of you that were in the chat room. And of course, all of you that downloaded and listened. We had a we had a blast. And hopefully uh, you all appreciated the, uh, the 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 cast and the guests that we had. A panel of luminaries. That's what it was. That's right. Not us, the other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those other guys. That's right. All right. Uh, you know what? Speaking of questions, let's dive right in. I'm sure we've got other things to talk about, but uh, but we've, we've got some great questions. Uh, we're going to start off with some some just good old tech stuff, and then uh, we've got things. We've got a printing thing. We're going to talk about We had a lot of questions about Yojimbo. Uh, we've had a lot of questions about converting documents to Word uh, or from Word— and uh, and then I think we're going to talk about splitting up Ethernet stuff. So we got a lot to do. So th- let's start with the with the good old tech stuff. And Mike writes, I have a Mac Pro with four gigs of memory and three hard drives. I'm running Snow Leopard 1065. five. My iTunes library seems to be corrupted. I get interrupted downloads. The computer freezes. And the only way to restart is to use the power button. I get various different error codes, and the latest problem is that iTunes stops playing when Time Machine starts backing up. The playback resumes after Time Machine runs for a short time, but it does not return to the podcast or song where it was interrupted. I have run Disk Utility and repaired permissions. I've deleted the P-list. I've run Drive Genius, uh, which reported incorrect number of thread recovers and invalid directory, invalid, vol, invalid volume directory counts it repaired these problems however a short time later drive genius tells me there are drive errors again i have even zeroed out the hard drive and reinstalled everything same problems with itunes okay so um yeah this is an interesting one john right it the the idea is i'm going to focus a little bit on i'm going to start on disk warrior here or, or drive genius rather uh mm-hmm. And and we'll see we'll see where we go with this. But you know, if you run Drive Genius or or as I said, Disk Warrior or even Disk Utilities, Verify Disk, and, and it fixes all the errors that it finds, and the way that you know that it's fixed everything is to run it repeatedly until it has nothing left to fix, and it says everything's good. Um, then it, that indicates that your file system is okay, right? And if those problems recur, it's clear that something is happening that's causing them. Um, and you know, in a hundred percent normal operation file system errors should not happen, but none of us uh, runs with normal operation. There's all things, all kinds of things that can happen, right? You, the operations get interrupted. You have to do what he describes sometimes, which is shutting down with the power button. And, and none of those things are good. You know, now force quitting apps is okay. That's not typically going to cause these kind of problems, but you know, anything where you're interrupting the computer and stopping it uh, in a, in a process can cause some file system corruption. Uh, And that's why these tools, you know, exist. So the question is what's causing Mike's file system corruption. Um, And, and of course we talked about, you know, he mentioned using the power button to restart. That could be one thing, but of course, as Mike mentioned, it could also be a a bad disc, a physical error on the disc, physical errors on the disc, Could cause file system corruption, but it's important to remember that file system corruption in and of itself is not always caused or even usually caused by physical problems. Um, The way you'd make sure you don't have physical problems is, well, to replace the drive and, you know, see what happens. But, But short of that, you can use disk utility to check the SMART status of the drive. And uh, and you do that just by going into Disk Utility and highlighting the disk and look down at the bottom. You'll see S M A R T, which John is
0: Uh, system monitoring -monitoring and self monitoring -monitoring and reporting tool. Yeah, something technology. Yeah, I think close enough. I think that's right. Yep. Uh,
1: And essentially, what that is is that's electronics on the drive monitoring the drive itself, and if it detects a problem, it's going to tell you. And more often than not, it's right. Uh, I, I don't know that I've fi- I've seen a drive with physical problems where it was not reported by smart.
0: Um, so if that's not reporting it, chances are you don't have problems. Uh, right. Now, I use something so, to, to mention smart. Yep. So uh, as you pointed out, you can get smart through you know, this utility. And I think system profile will show it. But there's also yep. something that I use called smart reporter, which is a tiny little utility. It'll sit in your menu bar. OK. And it'll give you a happy little icon showing status of your drives and if everybody's happy it's green and if things aren't happy which i've never seen but it'll it'll be in a different state the other nice thing about smart reporter is that if it detects a problem you can tell it by the way you know send me an email oh that's cool and i have it set up for that no i i I have never had a drive fail its smart status and, and i hope i never do right but that's a nice utility to check that sort of thing but but the the one thing that Disk Warrior comes with one of those two that'll sit in the background and check for
1: you. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. But, but um, you're right,
0: disk utility, you have to go and check. It's not going to monitor for you. Right. But the thing I want to be clear about here is I guess what we're going to call either a soft error or a hard error, Dave. Okay. Is it is it, is it the structure of the data on the drive that's damaged? Then that, certainly things like disk utility can, can certainly fix that. Or is it a hard hardware error? And now the thing is that gets a bit trickier, I think. Now fortunately, our friend and, and I love Drive Genius. I think it's a great utility. Drive Genius does have a tool that will do an exhaustive. I mean, you, you can set it up. I mean, this is gonna take a while, but it will go to every single block on the drive and do a read write and it'll thoroughly, thoroughly check it out. Uh, so Don't do this with an SSD drive, by the way. But but a typical drive, oh, yeah. No, because you're gonna womp. Yeah, I mean you'll <laughs> Yeah. Bad. Yeah, because that's, that's a lot of activity. No, that's a very good point. But for mechanical drive, yeah, um, and and I think the name of it, yeah, it's called Scan, and you get some options saying, you know, do you want to do a, you know, high level or low level? Um, but what occurs to me, Dave, is that the, the, this is a problem that could be feeding on itself, is that because he mentioned iTunes um, corruption? Yep. Or, I'm I, thinking, or
1: I, yeah, iTunes. I guess that's I guess that's right. Yeah, I, iTunes is acting funny. Certainly.
0: Yeah, now one thing, and and the thing is, if that's damaged, then I think you may keep running into what I'm going to call these soft errors, that there is that they're going to keep recurring. Um, So one thing I want to suggest, and I found an Apple support article, HT1451, and that article tells you how to recreate your iTunes library. uh, I'm thinking it may be possible that there's something in the iTunes library that is damaged and this utility is not going to fix it.
1: Right. Right. But because the library is damaged, it causes the computer to lock up and then he has to reboot with the power button, which causes the file system corruption. And now you've got this this vicious cycle of uh, of 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 a loop that he has created for himself.
0: Right. So uh, we'll link to this article. Um, Hopefully the rebuild will will get rid of this problem. Uh, and then we have, you know, the other suggestions for checking, you know, both the, the structure of your hard drive, you know, the, the integrity of the structure of what's on your hard drive, in addition to getting something. I'm I'm not aware of any utility of, that's a freebie that will do an exhaustive, you know, uh, the check of each sector. That's a good, That would be a good thing to find because it, it is a
1: valuable thing to do. So we'll, if anybody out there knows of a free utility, even a command line utility, and, and I'm wondering if FSCK will do it. Um, I don't know that it will, but it might, uh, anything that will do, uh, what typically is called a surface scan, uh, of the disc where it, like John described, it's reading and writing every sector, um, to check, to make sure the physical disc is okay. That would be great to know because otherwise you got to pay a hundred bucks to do that, which, you know, these utilities are worth it. But if all you need to do is a surface scan, uh, that's a pretty routine, a pretty, Easy operation. It wouldn't surprise me if there was a free utility out there to do it. Of course, would you trust a free utility knowing full well that it's going to go and read and write every sector on your hard drive to do it properly and non-destructively that, you know, you (laughs) got to,
0: I don't know. Maybe it's worth a hundred bucks. You Uh, know, I'll say I trust Drive Genius because the other day I actually checked for fragmentation. Now, you know how I've talked about this in the past, Dave. Uh But. I decided, you know what? I trust Drive Genius, and I did this because I ran there. You know, they have a, a mode where it'll show the fragmentation on the drive. You know, yep. because I thought eh, things are kind of kind of sluggish here, and my drive was quite fragmented. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to trust it. I booted off other of CD or DVD, and and ran the. You know, now everything is is contiguous and and running. I think as fast as it. So, so, you did a a defrag or an optimization on the drive? Uh, defragmentation, yes. Yep. Yep.
1: All right, on to. Another interesting problem, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, John. So Lyndon writes, uh, as the family administrator, I'm writing to ask for your help for a problem I'm having with my father-in-law's iMac. It seems that his printer, uh, it's an Epson printer, is causing a conflict with his Bluetooth mouse. When I was called in, I saw the Bluetooth offline symbol, the wavy line across the B in the menu bar, and after performing some Google Foo, I reset the PRAM and SMC and got the Bluetooth mouse back but I lost the printer in the process. I've reinstalled the latest version of Mac OS X using the combo updater and installed the printer twice. The second time after a nuke and pave of the Epson printer drivers. Interestingly, the iMac does not recognize the printer even even if uh, recognize the printer even exists if the USB is plugged into the back of the iMac, but it does recognize the printer if it's connected to the Apple USB keyboard. Unfortunately, the printer doesn't work in either case, but System Profiler does show it when it's connected to the keyboard. A few hours with Epson support has not gotten us any further, but uh, given that there seems to be been a lot of articles on the web about USB and Bluetooth, I wonder if you or any other listeners uh, to the show can help or at least point me in the right direction. I, there's a second email, which I'll read, uh, and I asked him if he'd tried the X, Epson with another Mac, and his response was... Uh, he got a friend to try his PC laptop with the Epson printer and it worked. So he's pretty close to eliminating Epson as the the, the printer itself is a problem. Uh, he also tried a flash drive on the Mac and it was not recognized when plugged into the back of the iMac, but it was recognized, but still didn't mount when plugged into the keyboard. So very similar symptoms with multiple USB devices, the only USB device that he's gotten to work uh, in when plugged directly into the Mac is the Apple USB keyboard, so uh, I think that I think that does it. So that does it with his with his email. So m- my thought was I, I think there's I gotta think there's a hardware problem. Well, it's either USB drivers, right? And the only drivers that are intact on his machine are the ones for the keyboard, and anything else won't work. But even still, it should show up in System Profiler, right? So I, you know. I don't know. I I think it's I think it's probably a hardware problem. And is the keyboard drawing so much power that nothing else plugged into the computer can work? I don't know. John, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this.
0: My thought is and this occurred to me at first. I thought, well, USB and Bluetooth. Dave, what what could they possibly have to do with one another? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. All right. (laughs) So if you fire up System Profiler, at least on my MacBook Pro, and I don't think it's just the MacBook Pro. Yep. Um, click on USB and you know what, Dave, one of the devices that you're going to see in the USB device tree, Bluetooth is something called Bluetooth USB host controller. Okay. So, so I'm blue- suspecting one of the blue, the, the something is flaky with one of the Bluetooth, uh, I'm sorry, USB hubs or controllers or chips within that machine. Yep. And when it gets upset, one thing it may do is knock the Bluetooth off the bus, or, or uh, somehow upset it so that he gets that. But the fact that, as far as I know, all Bluetooth is is actually just another USB device on the Mac would lead me the the that I would agree with you that it's a uh, hardware problem, specifically a USB controller. Now, as far as why plugging some things in would work and some don't, um. You know, different devices have, uh, you know, different power requirements. And, you know, and some well, what should happen is if the bus doesn't have enough juice, that the OS should report this. Right. Assuming the device itself advertises its capabilities properly. But that's what if, not what if the it's case. not a juice problem? What
1: if it's, you know, that the bus is corrupted and it's it's, it's, it's well, that's not, what I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, it's, it's 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 a data problem or something. Yeah. Some short on the motherboard. Lyndon, we yeah. told you not to wash the machine with hot soapy water, right? So no, <laughs> never mind. That's not how you clean the bus. That's no. not. Yeah, that's right. You don't. You don't hose it down outside with that grease cleaner. We clean different buses that way.
0: But but the very the, the good thing that he did was to take the printer itself and put it on some a uh, totally different device. I think right. he said he put it on a PC. Yep. That to me, yeah. So I, I totally rules out the printer. I'm leaning towards uh, a USB chip issue in the iMac itself.
1: You know, one thing to check is System Profiler does exist on your Mac OS X boot DVD, right? So uh, before you nuke and pave to test this, just boot from the DVD and go into System Profiler and look under USB. Now, I would start this with just the keyboard, you know, connected and see what it says under USB, then start plugging things in like you have and refresh that USB list in System Profiler and see what happens. Because if it is a problem with your OS install, and I really don't think it is, but if it is, then booting from the DVD and looking at System Profiler there will totally tell you what's going on. I'm,
0: yeah, I'm with you on that. The, the other thing in System Profiler that I noticed, and, and I'd be curious what he sees in this, is that there's also a printer's category and it'll no. list all of the devices that you have on your printer but it sh- it has a little thing showing status mhm and maybe worth seeing what if any status is there the the, the from what he indicates it i mean it probably won't even show up but there right. is a status uh line in system profile for each of the printing devices that you have defined so right
1: all right now uh, on to John, we got interestingly enough, as, as often happens when prepping the show, uh, things started to take on a, th- a theme, actually a couple of themes. And so the first one that we're going to address is document conversions. And we'll go with John first. John writes, I'm puzzling de- over dealing with the pages format. I use Apple's pages and store my documents in a Dropbox folder so I can access them on my iPhone, my iPad and my MacBook Pro. The problem is that if I want to print them or edit them at work using Windows and Word, I cannot open the pages documents. I know that pages can export as Word, but it's an, but it's awkward keeping two versions or remembering to always keep the Word version up to date. Similarly, I know iWork.com allows download of Word versions, but again, I don't always remember to republish documents after I make minor changes to them. I was wondering whether there is either an iPhone app that could convert documents from Pages to Word, i.e. open it from Dropbox on the iPhone, then email the Word version to the Windows computers, I've also wondered if there's a way to get something like Hazel to automatically create Word versions of pages documents, i.e. to automatically reconvert after saving. Uh, even when better would have be to, uh, the ability to have pages automatically save both pages and Word's versions or automatically republish to iWork when saving. With a new version of Office, I'm half tempted to go back to using Word. Can you advise which is the easiest, preferably invisible method of always having access to up-to-date Word versions of my pages documents? Okay. So,
0: John, I think we both have a couple of ideas here. Uh, Another one came to mind as soon as he said iPhone. Okay. Well, All right. I'll, um, I'll, I'll research it further while you, you begin.
1: Okay. All right. Cool. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, it's really important to know that the word to pages conversion, either from word to pages or pages to word, is not 100% accurate, nor is it error free. Um, so it is possible. Now if you've got simple documents and the only thing you have is fonts and bold you're not going to have any trouble. But if you start getting into advanced formatting, there are going to be edge cases that you're going to run up against where things aren't going to be quite right because of that. And I live in a similar world to, to John here. I, I prefer to use pages and numbers to Word and Excel. But if I know I'm dealing with someone that's going to need a Word document or going to be using Word on their end and we're collaborating on something, I don't mess with pages. I go right into Word and I I use Word on my Mac. Um, so, so that, you know, it's important to, to kind of bear that in mind. It, it's the same as the Mac versus PC argument, you know, so should I get a Mac or should I get a PC? Well, you know, what do you need to do with it? And if the answer is, well, 80% of my time, I need to run an app that's, you know, windows only, and there's no other way around it. Well, then the answer is get a windows box, you know, yes, Boot Camp, yes, parallels, yes, VMware, but if, if 80% of your time is going to be spent, you know, using the machine for, you know, an unintended purpose, just get the right machine for the right job. And the same is true here. If you, if Word is what you need, use Word. However, uh, you, there may be some steps around it, but I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, to solve his specific problem, uh, he simply, simply need to be able to, he needs to be able to take an existing pages document and on your Windows machine, convert it to Word at will. So there are a couple options. I found a, a, uh, uh, a, a thing at SourceForge called pages converter and it's a windows app that will convert a pages document to a text file that word can then edit uh this gives you the text of the file but does not give you any of the formatting so you know not perfect by any stretch but it works uh number two and this is interesting by default pages and you you wouldn't know this unless you dug in but by default the Pages format is actually a compressed folder, um, mm. and so if you you know if you have a document called My uh, that's actually a, a, a compressed folder, and it's compressed using the ZIP format. So you can rename the document. You can do this on the Windows side. Rename the document from My My to My at that point, Windows is going to know what to do with this and you can then either dig in with Windows because its file browser has an automatic zip extractor or you can, you know, expand the zip file and it's going to be a folder called my document uh, or whatever the name of it was. Inside that uh, there is a quick look folder and inside that you'll find a file called preview.pdf. This is a, as you might guess, a PDF that has a preview of the uh of the document. And in most cases, if all you need to do is print, this is going to suffice. It's got all the formatting and it, uh, you know, it's not so bad. So, so this might be your answer. It's not perfect because not really editable. And the XML file that you're going to find in there is, is going to be difficult to read with, you know, with word, but, uh, but preview.pdf might work. Uh, That's, that's the only two I could come up with for solving this issue specifically now for different workflows. Uh, you could change your workflow and use MS word on both your Mac and windows machine. And then you can use, and there's a lot of tools, but on the iPhone and iPad, I've used office two and office or office squared and office squared, HD, both from ByteSquared, squared. Uh, and those will edit word documents and they'll talk directly to your Dropbox. So there might be, you know, a, a, an answer here, but it means using, you know, word uh, probably word 11, which just came out and, I like it better than the previous version. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the right, the right answer. Uh, but it's cool because they do support Dropbox directly from the iPhone and iPad. Um, or you could abandon apps altogether, store all your documents in Google Docs, which you can access from your Mac, your Windows machine, your iPhone, your iPad, and any other computer on the planet with a browser, and you're good to go. So, lots of options. I think I gave you four, and John, you've got probably. You know, an equal number if you want, but go. I don't know if I have four.
0: All right. Here's some things that I noticed about um pages. Okay. Which I think the current is pages 09. Mm-hmm. Um, here's one option in the save dialogue, Dave, that I, I just noticed when, you know, when I was putting together my notes. Yeah. Save copy as. Right. And there's, uh, and normally I think it's unchecked, but if you check that, and I think the only option is Word document and. I think that's right. I work oh eight, yep, yeah. so um now of course the the bad news there is that then you're going to get into this whole version control thing where you're going to be having two versions, which she said he wants to avoid, but right. I just want to offer it that within were uh, within pages there there appears to be the ability to do that yes, Um, now there's some now actually that that that's for the next question, I think um. You said you had a you had a a, a glimmer of of, well, of brilliance. Well, you know, well it, it was a tool that you know, I haven't looked at for a while, but I think they changed the nature of what they did and that's documents to go. The thing is I <sighs> And you don't have to look at it further because I'm looking and they do have a version, but it looks like they've they've uh, moved towards uh making the software on a portable device. I, I don't see a desktop version immediately. And they do have, uh, they claim here, a version that runs on the iPad and the iPhone and the uh, iPod Touch. And one of the features they mention here, now they just say view, so right. I don't know about printing. They say you can view Adobe PDF, Apple iWork, which is what we're talking here, pages and other files. Right, but you, um, can,
1: yeah, no, you can edit files, and I think, I think Documents to Go talks
0: to Dropbox, too. So, Documents to Go may be worth uh, investigating, Yeah, that
1: That might be that that would fall into the category of of solving his issue, because if it can edit a file, if it can edit a pages file that's on his Dropbox, then he could presumably, you know, email or save it as a Word document right from from documents to go on his iPhone or iPad. And he's golden.
0: Yep. And I see that right here. Yes. They specifically mention, uh, I guess, in the premium version. Yep um dropbox along with uh the uh, iDisk, i see iDisk, i see google docs so um uh, documents to go made me worth it now uh, you know to me dave the best solution is to lobby to get a mac in the workplace <laughs> huh. i'm yeah. serious man yeah
1: well there's a there's a book coming out about that right david sparks from the mac power users podcast has a book
0: coming out i think about oh. That, so. oh yeah i got a note about that too yeah, yeah we'll have to check his book out yeah. um because I know quite a few people that are, you know, battling IT groups who are like, you must run Windows. And I know more and more people that say, well, I can get the Mac and run either VMware or VirtualBox or Parallels, and I have a Windows PC inside of my Mac. Will that work? In some environments it will, and some right? it won't. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed, the follow-up to what you mentioned, is that um, you uh, another way to save it. So I like the zip thing. That's very clever. I didn't know that you, you can also and it's buried within the preps for pages and it may make this a, a little more palatable is you can say save a document as a package. So, so it eliminates the zip step. It's, it's not a big, big deal. But I just noticed that when I was going through the preps and pages that you can choose to save it as a package file, which then I think it eliminates the unzipping.
1: Right. It would show up on if you did that and it's in what uh, preferences, general saving. Mm -hmm. uh, But if you if you do that, then when you view the file on Dropbox from your Windows machine or on the Web, it's going to show up not as a dot pages file, but as a folder uh, already. Mm -hmm. So essentially an unzipped version of of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's go to Joe. And let's see what he says. Uh, he says, Joe says, I recently dug out a eulogy. I wrote for a beloved uncle 24 years ago, but word on my Mac wouldn't open it in a formatted way. Since I used the fast save option from word in the old days, I can't tell for sure what the final form of the document was. Is there a converter to update the version so I can get it into pages? Uh, I have had good luck using a utility called zamzar.com for this. And we've mentioned it on the show before. Uh, you visit zamzar.com, you upload your file, you tell it what format you want, it emails it back to you, and you're good to go. Uh, that, that's one step. The other step would be either what Quick Office or Open Office uh, on your Mac Ooh. might do it. That, you know, th- Those are my two thoughts on on reading that old Word file. Uh, John, do you have any any additional thoughts?
0: Of course. Good. About, oh, about this. Um, <laughs> yes, I do. And so I poked around here. Now, unfortunately, it involves uh, you know moving. I'm not going to call them the dark side. No, I'm, I'm going to call them the dark. You go to the Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft uh, has a page that I found that is called Office Online File Converters and Viewers, and it's just a whole boatload of you guessed it viewers, but more importantly converters where you really? can read files and convert from earlier versions of office applications. Now the only caveat here is that it seems they're only available for Windows. But I'm looking here and for example, he said it was a Word document and I see here there's a converter for Word 2000, for Word 97 and there's even some viewers. So so maybe one of these, now you know, you'll have to find a Windows machine to try this out, but I'm I'm hoping that maybe one of these converters or viewers would be smart enough to, um, and, you know, if you can view it, then I think you may be able to save it out. Um, right. You know, like doing print to PDF or something like that. So, um, so I'll link to their page. Now, unfortunately, they also have a link on this page saying MacTopia downloads. And if I click on it, it says I can't find that page. So Ooh. MacTopia, which uh, MacTopia is, of course, um, you know, what? Microsoft's Mac specific site. I, I did a quick peek in there and, and they do have downloads. There may be similar converters or viewers on, on the Mac side. So I'll dig a bit more, uh, and that's another one. But they do make an effort on occasion to provide you ways to bring in stuff from older versions.
1: Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, You know, Joe had a second question, and so we're going to jump from this document conversion thing to our printing issues topic because we've got two of these at least perhaps we have two of these and that's my iphone alarm that's always going to go off this time in the afternoon um mm-hmm. all right so joe writes i've started having a problem with the print quality of my much loved hp laserjet 5mp printer recently each page has a gray band on the right hand side and sometimes on the left can you recommend anything for me to do to get rid of this unsightly effect Uh John, my guess, even though I know you're not a big fan of uh having always having the latest and greatest gadget, I think both you and I would come to the same conclusion and and John, that is
0: Dude, probably a new printer. There it is. There it is. I'm trying to find out how old this thing is. They're old. Um they're old. Um, but, 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 but to dig a in a question. little bit. Yeah,
1: because laser printer, the design of of a the way a laser printer works has not changed much. So they, there's a couple of things that it could be. Number one, and this would be the best case scenario. Number one is is possible that you've got a toner cartridge that's gone flaky on you. And this can happen, especially if you buy remanufactured toner cartridges. In fact, I had to stop buying them because they would do exactly what Joe's describing here. Uh, so it's possible that you've just got a funky toner cartridge. And if you put a new toner cartridge in this problem could, uh, could be a hundred percent solved, or it'll be 0% solved because it's not the toner cartridge. And it's one of the other, uh, more expensive and more, uh, difficult to replace, uh, components inside the the printer. Of course, toner's meant to be, uh, replaced and that's how that works. But, uh, but it does come in that cartridge and those cartridges can get, Funky after a while, so.
0: Right now, if he's seeing a band, what I'm going to select, and and it, it it's hard to determine which piece of the printer, yep, um, is doing this, Dave. But but as you pointed out, most laser printers operate in the same fashion. If I had to guess the component in the printer that needs replacing, it would be uh, I believe it's called the drum. Okay. okay. And that's the thing that I think the laser actually hits before the the drum then picks up, you know, due to being charged, picks up the toner. And eventually those things have a lifetime and they wear out. Now this printer, I don't know how easy it is to replace the drummer. It's even worth it. I mean, yeah, you know, so it, it may cost more to replace the drum than it would be to just get a decent laser printer. So, so there's the drum. I think there's the, the, I think you pointed out, Dave, there's, there's the fuser, which is another part of the printer Yep. that could be screwed up. And then I'm trying to find the name of the other piece here. Okay. There's also, I think it mostly leaves something. And, at least in my printer, it's accessible, and it's a corona wire. And I guess there's is another part of the print mechanism. And at least on my printer, Dave, the GCC printer, there's actually a little slider, because what can happen is, is Cruft can build up on this little wire, and it, okay. and it could result in you seeing a streak on the page. So if it's accessible, um, so, you know... It, I, I mean, I I quickly looked on the web here, and there are places that will sell maintenance kits and you know roller cleaning kits. So, oh, I mean, you can get, you can yeah. give it a try, yeah, um, and and try to refurbish it or repair it. But uh, again, I mean, looking at that printer, I mean, it's like you know the PostScript level two, and you know it's really slow. So uh, I got to. Give you credit for <laughs> putting me to shame here, I think, because th- this is Ah, uh, uh, now that printer might be newer than the one you've got. OK, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So I guess when whenever you come to us and say, hey, my printer's not working right, then I'll just go and find the audio clip where, and play it back to you where you say, dude, buy a new printer. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. Thanks. Right. Sure. You bet. Hey, we're here for you. OK. We have another potentially printer related issue from Marion. Uh let's see. It, 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 and this is going to be a weird one to read because Marion has made an assumption that this has to do with Smart Sleep and I don't I don't believe that's correct. Uh, but let's start at the top and let's see where we go. Marion writes, "I've been having some issues regarding or using Smart Sleep." You've mentioned utility on the show quite a few times. And then, as my going to sleep hibernate time was getting longer and longer, presumably because of my many long-in items, uh, so I decided to go ahead and install Smart Sleep. It worked flawlessly for about a day. Then it seemed it just stopped working as my going to sleep time, set to Smart Sleep, uh, got even longer than before I installed it. As after the usual troubleshooting process, and, and it's, I'm going to stop right here, it's important to remember that Smart Sleep, all it does is it changes. Whether or not your Mac and at what point your Mac saves a hibernate file, meaning it dumps the contents of RAM out to the hard drive or not. Uh, by default, the Mac does this 100% of the time when it goes to sleep. And if you've got a lot of RAM or you've got a slow hard drive or you've got both, it can take a long time. Uh, the benefit is that if your battery runs dry while your computer's asleep, then you've got this hibernate file and everything is restored and you haven't lost anything so that's why apple sets it up this way but smart sleep is a little extension modifies some system uh, parameters and then it goes away so it doesn't run in the background or anything it just modifies these parameters and then and then ejects uh and what it'll do is it'll not hibernate unless your computer is you know below x percent battery and you know five percent ten percent twenty percent whatever you want to set it to so I'm, I'm not convinced that this has anything to do with smart sleep because smart sleep doesn't really do anything and it doesn't run. Um, but uh, smart sleep was the first thing that uh, that Marion used to try and attack this problem. Uh, so after the usual troubleshooting, uh, back to her email uh, or his email, I'm not sure if this is a male or female Marion and that doesn't really matter. Uh, after the usual troubleshooting process, including PRAM and SMC resets, creating a new user account and some other unsuccessful attempts, I turned to the console. I put the machine to sleep and woke it up quite a few times before I noticed that there was a mention of a shared printer located at my work, even though I was at home at the time, causing considerable burden on the network. I deleted the USB shared printer from my printer list in system preferences. And sure enough, after closing the lid, my MacBook Pro went to sleep almost instantly. After a few days, I went ahead and tried the new Printopia app, which is really cool. And we'll we will talk about it and cool stuff found uh, so I could print from my iOS devices. As soon as I installed it, the issue was back. I looked at the console again, but could not find anything relevant this time around. When I deleted Printopia, the problem went away. I contacted the smart sleep developer, but he said he had no idea about any of this. Um, I heard you mention in the past that network devices can influence the sleep behavior of a Mac, but as I recall, it was usually Ethernet related. If you have any idea how to get around this, I'd graciously, greatly appreciate it. Okay. So, as I mentioned, I, I don't think smart sleep has anything to do with this. really what it sounds like is anytime mm. there's a non USB printer in the, uh, you know, so any sort of, you know, network or or alternate printer. Anytime there's a printer in that one of those printers in the list sl- shut down or uh, sleep rather is significantly delayed before it allows that process to happen. That's the that that's that's what's happening here. That's what that I mean, that's that's the symptom that we're hearing. And it doesn't matter whether it's a network printer or this, you know, kind of virtual printer, net, uh, printopia driver, anything attaching to the printing system in its own way. Uh, so for me, that tells me there's something wrong with the printing system. Thankfully, we have a way of resetting the printing system. And to do that, it's system preferences, print and fax, and then uh on the left, you'll see a pane where it lists printers. Even if there's nothing there, just right-click anywhere in that pane and choose Reset Printing System. It's either right-click or Control-click. Hopefully, that does the trick. So that that I, other than that, I I'm kind of at a loss on this one. But it it's definitely there's definitely something wrong with the printing system, uh, which is a system-wide um, thing. So it's new user accounts aren't gonna aren't mm-hmm. gonna fix it. But go ahead, you you I I, I can hear it. Go.
0: I'm chomping. Mm-hmm. I got my bit. I'm chomping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but I think uh, uh, I'm with you. The uh, smart sleep is identify is, is reacting to activity. Uh, so I think it's, it's doing smart sleep is doing nothing other than reprogramming the time at
1: which hibernate happens. Right. Okay. So smart sleep, smart sleep doesn't do anything when your computer is going to sleep. All it does is it reprograms the, the, the power manager settings, right?
0: right? So, yeah. But but if there's activity in the system, I mean, the, the Mac is. If there's a lot of activity, then the Mac will. Yeah, well, I guess as pointed out, we'll will take a while to go to sleep. Well will not go to the, sleep. And that has nothing
1: to do with smart sleep. It's not.
0: there's Smart sleep has nothing I, I agree. to do with it. Right, okay. The only other thing I could suggest is that, you know, this is in a slightly different part of the system preferences. But if you look in your. The, the other thing that I've seen, Dave, is sometimes, and you may be able to see this through Activity Monitor or something, if a print queue. Uh, especially if you have a print job that is not quite complete or stuck or maybe in, even in a paused state. Um, I've seen that cause, depending on, on the machine, um, especially if the printer's not connected, uh, some print drivers will, will just go bonkers and will be the chewing processor and, and doing other terrible things. Now, the way, of course, you can look at the print queues. Now, normally when you print something, you're going to see a printer start bouncing around in your dock. And I think you can actually say stay there. But if you, you know, if you miss that chance, then all you have to do is go to and you know, like before, System Preferences, Print and Fax, and you'll see a list of printers. If you double click on one, then you'll see a little icon bounce in your dock, and you will then see the list of documents that are queued up for that particular printer. So, um, anytime you're having printing issues, you may want to make sure that that is cleared out, or it's not in a uh, you know a pause state. Yeah, you know, or push the documents out of there because I have seen that cause cause issues again, especially if the thing's not smart enough to realize the printer's not there, and it will it will try and try and try to print to a printer that does not exist.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, I, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if that's exactly what's going on here. And but the reset of the printing system should wipe that out. It will. You'll have oh,
0: yeah. to re-add your printers if you do that. that you know. That's uh, the new can print of, uh, the new can pave of the printing world is right. you know, reset the, the print system right. Hopefully that does it. I, I I'm
1: eager to hear back from you, Marion, because it would, uh, I really, cause otherwise I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. So I hope that does it. Mm. All right. Are we good on this one? Uh, think so. All right, cool. Uh, Kirk wrote, and, and we've got two, again, two questions about, about your Jimbo specifically, uh, and so we'll start with number one kirk writes in episode 299 you stated that you use dropbox to sync your yojimbo database between your two machines how do you do this i tried creating an alias of the main database file while moving it onto dropbox but it doesn't seem to work i have to use mobile me right now and it's not been a seamless experience okay yeah it doesn't work quite that way but it does work there's a there's a post on Google Group's uh or on a Google group that that kind of details what I've done here. But it works really well. Uh the 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 general gist is, and you got to quit Yojimbo on all of your Macs before you do this. Uh, but the idea is you were half right, Kirk. You move your Yojimbo library from where it lives, which is in um home library, application support, Yojimbo. Uh, you move that that Yojimbo folder to your Dropbox and you can put it anywhere in your Dropbox you want. Just don't get in the habit of moving it around. Uh, But once it's, you know, you can put it wherever you want. You can put it at the top of your Dropbox. You can put it in a subfolder. You can put it wherever you want. Once you've done that, then the alias was the right concept, but not the right implementation. There is the Mac OS X alias functionality, which is different from the Unix symbolic link functionality. And for what we're doing here, we need to do the symbolic link and there's all the commands to do it. But the idea is you have to go into the terminal. It's one command. It's, it's quite painless to type. Uh, And, and the idea is you go to that application support folder and you say, Hey, uh, link the, It's just like creating an alias, you know, create a a link instead of creating an alias of the Yojimbo folder in my Dropbox to a virtual Yojimbo folder here. And then after that, you're totally fine. You do that on all your Macs. The problem is you can't run Yojimbo on more than one Mac at a time if you're doing this. But for most of us, that's not going to be a huge problem. Um, So so that that's the uh, that's the answer there. And I don't know if you have any questions. I know you don't use Yojimbo, John, but you use Dropbox and all that. So any anything to add or any questions here? Nope. All right. And then the second part of this Yojimbo little tour here comes from Jared. So I will play Jared. We will play Jared's comment as soon as I can click the button.
2: Hey, good morning, John, Dave, and uh, perhaps Pilot Pete. This is Jared from Monterey. And happy Thanksgiving to you. It's 6.40 a.m. and I'm on my way to work. Hope you guys have a fantastic holiday. Hey, I was just listening to show 299. And got to the point where you were comparing uh, the uses of Yojimbo versus uh, the uses of Notebook by Circus Ponies. And I have both of those applications, based uh, purchases based completely on, on your guys' show. And I've played around with both of them a little bit, but not a lot. But, uh, you know, a question that I had, a, a comparison I wanted to make is, is Yojimbo versus Evernote. Uh, y- you know, Evernote has a free, a free option and a freemium option, as they like to refer to it on their podcast. And uh, Evernote's been a fantastic product. I use it a, a lot. I use it all the time. And the beauty of it is, is that I have access to it on all of my devices, my iPhone, my iPad, my Mac... And any other PC that I need to get access to, uh, I can use it there, which isn't necessarily the case with Yojimbo. I know that Yojimbo just recently updated and added an iPad app, but, uh, that's going to require a direct sync between your Mac and, and your iPad in order to get that going on. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on, uh, on comparing those two products. All right. Uh,
1: and then Jared had some other comments that will,
2: yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Okay, so Yo know, Jimbo does have an iPad app now, and that's that's an important thing to note. But it is read only on the iPad, so the there is no editing happening on the iPad. It's you sync directly from your Mac to the iPad, uh, and you can access all of your stuff there, but you cannot uh, edit on the iPad. And presumably, editing is forthcoming, and I think they they alluded to that in a press release or somewhere. But anyway, uh, Evernote. And 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 the, and you've heard us talk about Yojimbo uh, if you've listened to the show for any length of time because we do uh, they are an advertiser so we've described it before but the idea is it's just a place where it's an app where you can dump all sorts of different pieces of information text PDFs um, I use it to create rich text files uh, inside Yojimbo that are our entire show in fact I just played Jared's comment from within yojimbo i build the little agenda and i put the comment right the audio file right in line so i can just click click play and boom it's good to go audio hijack pro is what we use to route the audio and it captures the audio from yojimbo and routes it where i want it to go and we're all happy usually as long as i press the right buttons so (laughs) well you know uh evernote is really a cloud-based service. Uh, now, it now I mean, it's sort of both. It, your data lives in the cloud, but it also lives on your Mac. So it's kind of like an IMAP sort of in, implementation in that you can get at your data when you're offline, but you can also get at your data when you're online, regardless of where you are. And the cool part about Evernote is that, that, you know, you can get it and it's easy to get from your iPhone. It's, and you can edit from anywhere. And all that stuff. So when Evernote first came out, I thought, well, well this is a no brainer. You know, I've been having Yojimbo sync problems. They sort of plague me on and off f- forever. And it's just because of mobile me, uh, because mobile me is really not meant to shuffle around big hunks of data like this. I think my Yojimbo library is over a gigabyte now. And that's why I've moved to Dropbox, but even that's imperfect. Um, but at least it's reliable. So, you know, I thought Evernote, great. And the one thing I couldn't get Evernote to do was exactly what I just described where I have an audio file in line and I play it out of a rich text file that sits inside Evernote. And that was why I didn't even pursue the path anymore. Cause I thought, well, this isn't where I want to go. I want to, you know, I want to mimic my current workflow, but I have to say it's getting to the point where, you know, Evernote and there's other things like it out there. It's like, man, you know, this is really frustrating because I want all that Freedom of where my information lives. And I, I especially with the iPad, it's like I I just want to be able to do stuff. If I have an idea about the show, I want to just be able to plug it into the agenda from there. But I can't because it lives in you know, Jimbo and I have no way of editing that. So I, I, it would be, you know, I and I haven't revisited Evernote in a while. So it's possible that this functionality now does exist in Evernote. But my guess is it doesn't because it would be a fundamental change in the way they handle data. Uh, But, you know, there's there's other options for dealing with the audio files if that's my only hang up. But but so that those are the two differences. That's that. And that's why I still continue to use Yojimbo for for everything, because I want I want one app where I do all of that stuff. And and Yojimbo is still it for me, at least for now.
0: You you sounded like you had a comment there, John. Nope. Oh, okay. I haven't. Yeah, I'm woefully uh, out of touch here. Well, I don't think I've used Evernote. so.
1: Yeah, Evernote's cool. And if you yeah, I would definitely check it out if you're looking for something like that where you're just gonna store notes and snippets and and, and ideas that are just sort of, you know, loosely organized. Uh, Evernote's great because you can use um, it on your
0: iPod touch and all that stuff. Oh okay. Well I'm I'm old school. Um, mm. Stickies. Hey, you know. But I'm you can't not kidding, man. <laughs> but you can't
1: share your stickies <laughs> among your devices. Or are you talking uh, about actual paper stickies?
0: No, no, I'm talking about yeah, the Stickies application within uh within OS ten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't that. think you can. Do they? No. Did, does dot sync them? I don't think so. I don't no. think so. No. I'm sorry, mobile me. I know what you meant.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Um let's uh Notes. Let's go. Oh, they do sync notes though. Hmm.
1: Okay. Anyways, go yeah. on, sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, so we've got kind of a twofer question from from Doug here, so we'll we'll just answer them as two separate questions. The first one is I have three USB external hard drives that I want to move off my desk to give me more room. Is it possible to run one USB cable from my iMac on my desk to a USB hub about two yards away and then connect the three hard drives to
0: the USB hub? Uh, John. Absolutely. Now, you may be asking the question. How long of a run can you run a USB cable? Actually, what I like to say is, how long is a Chinaman? What? I'll just leave it at that. Uh, you better. Okay. <laughs> so, what I did is found out and, and found out how long a USB cable you can run. And, you know, probably the best place to go is uh, there, there's a place called usb.org. And the answer to the question, now we're going to have to do a little of wrangling here with units, Dave, because now we're talking three different units here. So basically, the answer that they provide is as follows. Um, uh, the maximum length of a cable between full speed devices is five meters five meters well fortunately they converted 16 feet yeah
1: fortunate fortunately because otherwise we're totally doomed over here we just completely fall apart anytime somebody even mentions the metric system
0: well no well well in my head uh, i i approximate to uh three feet Uh, a meter is about three feet that's right right. so here so five meters um which they say 16 feet five inches for a low speed device the limit is three meters or nine feet ten inches which is funny because that happens to correspond, and I was I was checking a couple of cable vendors like Monoprice. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it that the longest cable that they sell is about fifteen feet. So there's a very good reason because uh, anything longer than – now actually I'm, I'm I'm lying. They do have uh, a thirty-three foot and a forty-nine foot cable. How is that possible? Well, I noticed this in the description. They, they call it a, an active cable. They they have power in it. Well, that's or what I think "active" means. Yeah. Is that I think it's it's a baby usb hub so so basically yeah if you go any longer than the maximum here 15 feet you're going to need some sort of power source whether it be an active cable or a hub so based on what i know what he's saying the the only caution i would have is that if he's going to get a hub since he's going to be plugging three devices into it make sure that you get a powered hub because the, the hubs can typically work in two modes they can either work in the mode where they're drawing the power from the host machine. Right. And I think that usually the maximum is about 500 milliamps, uh, I think, uh, off the top of my head. Sounds about right. Or you get a USB hub that has an external power supply. So I'm thinking with three devices, he may want to make sure to get a powered USB hub. But but I don't see any issue with the cable length that he mentioned. So that sounds like a, a good plan. Now, of course, the only thing is that, you know, if all of them are running at once here, you may have kind of a bottleneck.
1: Yeah, yeah. So but you, I mean, all he's... Well, yeah, it depends on what he's doing with the hard drives. That's true. They're, you know, chances are those drives aren't going to go fast enough to really make this. Uh, it could. It could. It's
0: possible. Yeah, so just make yeah. sure to get the right hub. It would be probably, you know, a USB two hub and um, and all right. the drives run USB two. So, um, so yeah, that sounds like a good plan. I, I see no problem with that.
1: Good. All right. Uh, Doug's second question. You've talked about Ethernet splitters on your show before. And I want to hook up both my iMac and my PC to the same Internet connection using an Ethernet splitter. However, since I use Splashtop on my iPad to access my PC, I need a static IP address for my PC. Is it possible to set a static IP address for my PC while using an Ethernet splitter? I hope my question is clear. All right, Doug. Well, your question is clear, I think. Um, There is no such thing uh, as an Ethernet splitter per se. There are many devices that will allow an ethernet connection to be shared. Uh the the most simple example would be these days a switch and we're not going to get into the difference to, between a switch and a hub because for these purposes they effectively work the same way. Um Well, if you had to choose, I'd get a switch. Definitely, definitely. I don't think you could buy a hub anymore, but the hubs are switches are far more efficient than hubs and we'll we'll yes. leave that discussion at that, right? But, but yes, you had to definitely get a switch. However, you probably don't want to switch anyway, but uh, we'll explain what that is. The idea behind a, a switch or a hub is that it's a device and you can buy them in, you know, five port, eight port, 16 port. You know, you probably go up to 128 port if you wanted, uh, but they get really expensive. It's got five, you know, if you get the five port version. It's got five ethernet ports on it and a power plug. You plug it power into the wall to fire up the switch of the hub. And then you just plug all your ethernet devices in. So in this case, you'd plug your internet connection into one and your Mac and into another port and your PC into a third. And now they would all just coexist on the same ethernet network. Very similar to having three wireless devices attached to the same wireless network. They are just all right there. However, uh, Switches are, in general, dumb devices, meaning they don't really do anything uh, and they aren't going to share your Internet connection. They're just going to share the physical layer of the Ethernet. And again, there's a slight oversimplification because some hubs are smart enough to do other things, but but they or some switches are. But but they don't do any uh, routing, which is the concept of manipulating the data to be shared. And that's where. The next thing that I want to talk about comes in, which is a router. So router is something like your airport base station or your Linksys router or whatever it is that typically people connect between their cable modem and their computer. And you may already have one of these, Doug, but but maybe not. It's possible you've got your Mac connected directly or your PC connected directly to your internet connection. So if you want to have them share the connection, there's a couple of options. You could call your cable company or whoever your ISP is and say, I want to connect two devices up and they can provision you for two devices. And then you can use a switch uh, and have both devices online and, and you're good to go. Or you can just have, but they'll charge you more and, you know, there's, but you still don't get wireless access or anything like that. option number two is to leave it just as it is where you've got provision for one device and you make your router, the first device plugged into the cable modem. The router will probably have a switch inside it, meaning that the router is going to have the, uh, you know, three or four ethernet ports that you can plug devices into. But in addition to that, it's got a little computer inside it that routes the traffic and actually manipulates the traffic coming in and out so that even though it's all coming to that device, if your computer is supposed to get it or your Mac's supposed to get it or your PC's supposed to get it or your iPad's supposed to get it, the router kind of hands all that stuff off and it does it very, very quickly. My guess is you probably already have a router and all you need to do is share an Ethernet run from the router, say, to your office where your Mac and your PC are. And if that's the case, then a switch would do that just fine. If not, then you need to get a router uh, and it wasn't sure of your of your setup when the question came in. So. So there's there's all the magic answers. Did I miss anything there, John?
0: No, I'm. No. okay. I wanted to get in some of the nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, what a switch and a a hub does. I mean, they're typically very low layers of the ISO stack, but we don't want to. Yeah, this is not a networking one on one course here. (laughs) yeah yeah so i think what you said is essentially correct and yeah if, if we had a diagram or something I, I think we could we could be a bit more specific about how uh how exactly to, to lay this out here
1: Yeah. the the one thing to know you, you said you need a static ip address for your windows machine and that's something that you're going to have to set up with your with kind of thinking of your router um uh, your router is going to assign IP addresses. It's going to get one address from the cable modem or from the cable company uh, and then, or DSL or whatever it is that you're using for from your ISP. And then it's going to create a network. And we've talked about this before, you know, a a, a phony network inside your house, a non-routable network. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's either going to be in like the one nine, two dot one six eight range or the 10 dot range or something that those are going to be the beginning octets of the, IP I'm a 172 type of guy myself. Yeah, hey, you're a 172. Right, so it's gonna be you know one of those things, and and if you go into your router's configuration, you'll see what that is. The next thing you want to look for is on your your DHCP settings, which is where the router is automatically assigning IP addresses to all the devices. You want to see what the range is. So, typically, if you've got an Apple router, you, it might be set to 10.0.0.1 for the router. And then I think Apple just does two through a hundred as your um as your DHCP range, but it might be a hundred to hundred and fifty or something like that. So in that case, if it's a hundred to one hundred and fifty, then your router is assigning ten dot 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 one hundred 10.0.0.100 through ten dot 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 one hundred fifty as the IP addresses for anybody that's connecting. But it can route anyone from 10.0.0.2 up through 10.0.0. Let's say 250. And you can probably go higher than that, but there's no reason to. So if you're going to assign a static IP to your PC, what you need to do is just pick something that's not in that DHCP range. So 10.0.0.10 uh, would work fine in 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 the example I just described. And if it's 192.168.1.x and you plug your numbers in there and off you go. So That way you can assign a static IP to your PC and then your iPad can always see it at least when it's home on your network. If you need your iPad to see your PC from when you're afar, that's a whole different question. And we'll get into that maybe
0: another time. I don't know. Yeah. And another thing to dive into would be, you know, and actually I did this recently would be, you know, to, to map a DHCP address to either a client ID or a Mac address. Um, kind of a finger wag at least Apple's implementation. And I think when you talked about this, Dave, you mentioned it, but of course I never listened to what you say anyways. That's right. <laughs> but um, Apple's device, if you define, you know, saying, okay, this Mac address goes to this IP address, it will not change the range of addresses that it's willing to hand out to other people, which to me is kind of lame. You would think that'd be a simple thing to program. No, so, well,
1: it, no router will. Oh, okay. Yeah. What you, because it's not part of the, yeah, it's, it's not, it, you should not. What is what Apple should do is it should not let you assign a static IP or a static lease mm-hmm. or a DHCP reservation. That's what they call it mm-hmm. in the router. Should not right. let you set a reservation that conflicts with or is in the same range as the auto DHCP that it's going to hand out. Agreed. That and that's an important thing to remember is that DHCP reservations work for addresses that are outside of the DHCP range. And that wasn't painfully obvious to me the first time I did it. I thought, oh, I've got mm-hmm. to set it inside the range, but that's weird. And then I realized, no, it, you don't set it inside the range. You set it outside the range and everything works much, much better. So,
0: Yeah, because when I first set it up, I was seeing it hand out weird addresses that conflicted with my specific instructions. And eventually right. it came to me when I looked at the screen. I'm like, wait a second. Why is it? Oh, it's handing those out because it's configured to do it. Mm hmm. The, the the ones that weren't assigned to a specific machine, right, same right, way. right.
1: Yeah, it'll happily do it, and it's not. Yeah, it's not smart enough, and and it's not just. I it, it's not just Apple. Um, okay, every Linksys router I've ever seen, the DDWRT firmware, all of it acts the same way. And it, yeah, like I said, it's it made me scratch my head too. It's like, why would it? Oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that's how it goes. Well, we burned an hour here, John. We wow. said we were just going to get right into it and then start telling stories if we had them. I don't know if you had one; I didn't. But uh, mm, it was good yet. to get back to this. You know, it'd it been uh, it'd been a while since we've done a like a what I would call a normal show. And this was uh, mm, I don't know what a normal show. Is. Yeah, I know what you mean. But you know, we, I guess we did two ninety nine was pretty normal. Three hundred wasn't. Two ninety eight was cool stuff found, which is nor, a normal diversion from our course item, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Fantastic. Thanks for sticking uh, through this with us. Hopefully you learned something. I certainly learned something. Uh, I learned a lot of things. I always learn a lot of things when we prep these shows and when we do these shows. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being subscribers, staying subscribed, supporting us. Uh, It it really, We say it all the time, but it's true. And it doesn't lessen what we mean when we say it means a lot because it means a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, okay, so you're, you're premium subscribers. Do we need to tell you how to contact us? You can contact us and tell us if we need to tell you how to contact us. How's that sound? Because <laughs> chances are, if you've subscribed, you know, I, we're happy to go through this. Like we have a, a whole lot of fun going through the contact info, but d- do you really need it?
0: Uh, I we- think people need to be told, Dave, that they should send us an email at premium. At MacGeGab.com. That's Don't true. It is,
1: a, it is a separate email address, and I believe you said uh, premium at MacGeekab.com.
0: I absolutely said premium at macgeekab. That's what
1: you Dot think. com. <laughs> <laughs> you can call us, of course, at 206 666 geek which John is 4335. F- uh, I'm not a singer. <laughs> 4335. There we go. That's Much awesome. better. Show notes at MacGeekGab.com. You can Skype us to MacGeekab, of course. Uh, we're going to be at Macworld Expo at the end of January, so come join us. We do have our hotel quote-unquote deal. Uh, we chose the Intercontinental because it is uh, what I feel to be the best option for anybody going to Macworld, so there's no real price deal because you've got to pay the same rate that you'd pay through Macworld, which is a discount off of the normal uh, rates that you'd pay there, but I think it's still about two nineteen a night. Mm-hmm. However, if you book it through us, uh, they've promised that anybody that does so will get a an upgraded room. So it is a better deal than MacWorld, and we're trying to get other things. I, I hesitate to mention what we're trying to get because uh, cause I don't want to promise and, and underdeliver. So I'm, I'm not going to mention. But there, of course, we will throw in two tickets to Cirque to Mac for anybody that books that way. So,
0: oh yeah, so you know that's something I was going to ask. Yeah, I mean this this is a I think almost a, a MacWorld legend it's it that's what i hear that's what i it's the the place to be that's right and there's uh, some usually some pretty decent musicians uh cranking out the tunes there
1: yeah i get to share the stage with people that can actually play so it's (laughs) nice (laughs) well except for one of them right (laughs) he's gotten better i'm just kidding actually the whole band has gotten better we yeah it's uh it's it's good.
0: It's amazing that you guys get together. I mean, you you practice a couple of times, right? Once. Uh, otherwise, once. there's no couple
1: times, man. Oh, all right. This is once. But otherwise,
0: year. you guys are spread all over the U.S. and and you get together once. So to me, that's amazing. Uh-oh. Oh. Uh oh. Oh. Speaking of well, bands that band, playing, <laughs>
1: that's right.
0: <laughs> or not playing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it does. It works out well. And we, you know, we, we enjoy each other's company and we've already started the email trail and uh, there's already there was already one hiccup and uh, we were able to solve that problem for one of the guys. I'm not going to get into it, but, uh, but we, had a, we, were, we thought we were going to be a man down this year and now we're not, which is a beautiful okay. thing. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, thank you again to Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for doing the AAC conversion. That AAC conversion, you know, I got a comment from somebody this week saying, hey, you know, you guys should do that thing that Adam Christensen does at the MacCast where you put chapters into your show and I can jump around and all that. Uh, yeah, man, we do. We've been doing it a long time. So, uh, and actually, we haven't been doing it a long time. Michael Johnston has been doing it a long time for you. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's what that's for. Cashfly provides all the bandwidth, of course, That's it. We're out of here. We'll be back on Monday. I promise we'll be back this Monday. I don't promise anything. Schedules are crazy. But that's the plan, is to be back Monday. Mm -hmm. With a regular show. Whatever regular means. Thanks for listening, folks. Have fun yeah. at you. on. Don't get
0: caught. Made up.